reading is from Exodus 12, <clears throat> 1 through 14, followed by Exodus 29, 45, and 46. 12, 1 through 14, 29, 45, and 46. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its head and its legs along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left of it until morning, you shall burn with fire. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. And then 29, 45, and 46. And I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Thank you, Bill. And good morning this morning. I um, you might have to bear with me a little bit this morning. I'm trying something a little different. I have a little few slides. I'm going to press a button and some of them will go forwards and backwards and you know, when an, old, when an old duffer is trying to learn how to do something new, um, you just bear with him. 
And I know you will because you have for a long time anyway, so <laughs> that's a good thing. <clears throat> I hope you're as excited as I am about reading through the, this scripture, this, this program that we have. It is awesome. And one of the things that the elders wanted us to do is, if we could, is to include in our teaching um, some of those things that we're reading. And so that's what I'm uh, attempting to do in the next four or five weeks um, that I'll be teaching here in February. Um, we're going to be touching on the subject of Christ in the Old Testament. Christ in the Old Testament. Seeing Christ in the Old Testament. Now, if you, if you see that there in Luke 24, 25 through 27, we know we can see Christ in the Old Testament. We know we can see Him in all these stories, in all these accounts. We can see Him in creation. We can see Him in, in how He deals with Israel. That is Christ revealing himself in the Old Testament. And we know that's true from what he says to those people on the those men on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. He was talking to them. They were walking along. And they were telling him, don't you know what has happened? The, the teacher, the great rabbi, Jesus Christ, has been crucified, and it's awful. And then he goes on to say this. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And that gives you a whole new idea and approach when you read the Old Testament. It's the revealing of Christ. And we learn his character and all the rest from that. <clears throat> Let me read some information that I want to get across to you and not do it from memory. As we read through the Old Testament, it is easy not to be able to see, not be able to see the forest for the trees. In other words, we lose sight of the big picture as we're confronted with the details of a time and of a culture that's way beyond our experience. There's a visible God, there's a satanic snakes, there's murder, there's lust, there's burning bush, there's plagues, there's sacrifices, there's priests, there's temples, there's blood, 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 and more blood. And it it's all seems a little overwhelming. And as I started this year and going back through the book of Genesis and reading it, I was kind of glad when I got through the book of Genesis for a couple of reasons. Uh, I was glad that I was in it, but I was also glad I was out of it and going, God, you've got to change these people a little bit. And that's what he does. I want to give you four things to keep in mind as you read through the Old Testament. And I think this will help, you, help us all understand it better. Rather than just read the accounts and go, oh, that's good, or, or maybe even some of the helps. There's four things that, that have helped me. And first of all, the Bible has been written over a 1,500-year period of time by 40 different authors, okay? And, but they all, it's all in harmony about the same picture. It's all presenting the same truth. 
It's who is God and who are we. That, that's what it's doing. The revealing is done in unfolding sequential manner. That's called progressive revelation. Genesis introduces us to God, and by the end of Revelation, we're in an eternal presence with God. So when you look at the beginning of Genesis, you, you get introduced to God, and then we begin to learn some things about Him. But as time goes on, as the whole law, the Pentateuch is written, we know more about God. When this whole history of this Jewish nation and all His dealing with them, when that's done, we know more about God yet. It is a revelation of who God is, and it's also a very good revelation of who we are. And so, just remember as you're reading, well, why didn't they do this, or why didn't they know this, or that sort of thing. They are getting the revelation that we have in full. We have the complete book. They did not have it. So that's the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is there's an overall theme in Scripture. There's a couple overall themes that... I would concentrate on when I read Scripture. The Scripture declares our God's Creator to have fellowship, communion, friendship, communication with His perfect, once perfect creature, man. In other words, from the beginning of Genesis till the end, there's this idea that God loves us, not only loves us, He desires fellowship with us. He desires communication with us. We have been created to live and experience the presence of God. So, as you look at some of the things in the Old Testament, keep that in mind. God is trying, is, has a plan of bringing His sinful creatures into communication with him, into understanding who he is. So when you're now we're getting into the priest and we're getting into the temple and we're getting into the clothing and we're getting into the sacrifices and we're getting into the law, just remember that the goal is for God to have fellowship with man. And we have fallen. So that brings the next big theme that runs through Scripture. And that's the theme of redemption. So, as you read through Scripture, know God's plan to bring about this restoration of our fellowship with Him. He's got a fallen humans, and He's trying to bring them back into a relationship with Him. And His plan is what we call redemption. The buying back of His lost creation. Paradise lost, but paradise uh, regained. He's trying to bring and accomplishes this in various ways until the final end, a relationship between sinful man and himself. The story of redemption is played out in the lives of individuals, men, women, children, slaves, free men, Jews, Gentiles, the sick, the poor, men of influence, beggars, healthy people, sick people, brilliant people, and slow of mind people. The offer of being brought back into relationship with Almighty God, our Creator, our Lord Jesus Christ, 
goes out to everybody, that offer. So, remember, it's progressive in its revelation. He is desiring a fellowship and a communion with man. He has a plan to bring that about in redemption. Now, I want to add something to that that's just kind of my idea, but it's helped me uh, to understand Scripture uh, even better as I, as I place this on it. It's what I entitled, Watch Your Prepositions. Okay? So we're going to diverse here a little bit to a, um, a little English lesson. What are prepositions? They're words which link nouns, pronouns, phrases to other words in a sentence. Prepositions usually describe the position something is in. In time, or when it happens, or the way it happens, in which something is done. It's the position. So you remember prepositions. That little word is positions. It's, it's our position. Now, if you look in 1 John 2.19, I wanted to use this as an example of making sure that we understand our prepositions. Or when we're reading Scripture, paying attention to prepositions. Here uh, in 1 John, John is telling us that there are false prophets and false teachers and they came out from the congregation. And he's saying, these people are trying to lead you astray. They look like us, they act like us, but they're not speaking the truth. And so he uses this verse here. Now, watch for the prepositions. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been, had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. You kind of rec- recognize the prepositions in there? From us, not of us. That's used a couple times. With us. And they went out to show that they were never of us or with us. It's very important, and, and just even understanding false prophets sometimes, it's, that's a wonderful verse. Well, were they, were they, part, were they saved? Were they, were they a part of the body of Christ? Did they have the Holy Spirit? And this verse says it's, it's very careful to use the kind of prepositions that say, no, they went out from us, but they were never of us. And if you draw a circle... The from would be from the outside of the circle. They went out from the outside of the circle. They didn't come out from the inside of the circle. They weren't of us. So that's a very, um, that's important when we read and study Scripture to understand the prepositions. Watch your prepositions. Now, the two prepositions that I constantly keep in my mind as I read Scripture are these two fellows right here, or they're not necessarily fellows, it's a gal and a gal, a guy and a gal. Now, I picked the one on the left because he's looking back over his shoulder. And so I would call that guy, he is, if you're going to pick a preposition for him, he is, you, 
Take a guess. From. That's a good guess. Glad you got it. That is the preposition from. He is going from something. Okay? She isn't looking over her shoulder. She is excited. She's anxious. She's going to something. So the two prepositions, and I'm, I'm going to mention them probably every time I speak uh, here in um, February, is from and to. Our two little people, from and to. Because when we read Scripture, um, somebody is always going from something to something. Now, right in the first pages of Genesis, what, what did Adam and Eve do? What preposition would you say was their downfall? From. They went from God, didn't they? To Satan, sin, and self. They went from God to Satan, sin, and self. Okay? The whole rest of Scripture is turned around and trying to get them and us from Satan, sin, and self back to God. So when you read the accounts in the Old Testament of an individual or a family, a man, a woman, the point of that is trying to get them from Satan, sin, and self to Christ, to God, to the holiness, to righteousness, to the peace of God, to a relationship with Him. When you look at the children of Israel, um, we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. Uh, that's what's happening there. Let me read you what Paul said in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What's he doing? He's letting that past go. He's letting especially that past where he was such a rebellious person to the really holy God. He was religious, but he was persecuting Christians and he was actually an enemy of God, and he's letting that go. And he's going on to the high calling in Christ Jesus. So you can take these two prepositions and, and hold them up to practically any portion of Scripture, and it'll help you to understand what's going on. Okay? So let's look at our passage this morning and see it in that context. Here I've said, I've entitled this Exodus or Entrance. And the reason I did that is because when we read the account of Exodus, which means exit, it, the emphasis oftentimes is on the leaving. And it, and it should be. And even in communion today, as Steve brings communion, it's, it's, it's what creates that exodus for us? What, 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 how does that work? And, and what are we leaving from? What are we going from? So, much of the emphasis as we read Exodus is, rightly so, on from. 
I've listed down below it. Old Testament picture. What are they going from? They're going from slavery. They're going from bondage. They're going from serving Pharaoh. So that's a picture in the Old Testament. And as we read that, one of the things that should happen in our mind's eye is we said, ooh, that, what's that picture of us? How does that work as a, as a shadow, a foreshadowing, or a picture for us? Well, the New Testament truth is we're leaving Satan, sin, and self. They were leaving slavery, bondage, and serving Pharaoh. The New Testament truth for the Christian is that he should be leaving Satan, sin, and self. That's the journey. That's where, that's where you're going from. Okay? Now, what's two? The Old Testament picture is they're going to freedom. They're coming out of slavery and they're coming to freedom. They're coming out of bondage where they're, they're not traveling anywhere. When you're bound in that uh, nation of Egypt, and oh my goodness, I know you've been reading it. Is it, was it, is it hard to get them out of there? Oh, absolutely it was hard to get them out of there. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But they're not free to go. But the New Testament, the Old Testament picture is freedom, <clears throat> crossing the Red Sea and going on a journey. And then they're going to be led by God in this journey. So that, that, that's, a, that's where they're going to. They're going to go clear to the land of Canaan. They're going to go to the promised land, going from Egypt to Canaan. Okay? The New Testament truth is, where are we going? We're going from Satan to a life with Christ. We're going from sin to holiness. We're going from self to being clothed for the journey. And... I appreciated so much the messages that Steve had, had just brought us out of Colossians on what do we wear for the journey? How do we prepare for this journey? Well, we're going to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's what, he's going to desire. That's what he desires for us. So you can see the, the from and the to work itself out in, in Exodus. So when I read a passage like that, I am glad for the exodus, but I am really glad for the entrance. And, and I hope you are too. I hope you in your life, you can look back on where you were and what you were bound by, what was holding you, what was enslaving you, and look forward to the journey with Christ, the life with Christ, the holiness that clothed in the journey. Now, next Sunday, hopefully, I can, uh, we will pick up on the journey and lessons from the journey. Because uh, I, as you and I both know, crossing the Red Sea did not get, crossing, let me put it this way, crossing the Red Sea in 24 hours or whatever it was that they took them to get across there. I, I don't know. It wasn't long. That's what it took to get them out of Egypt. How long did it take to get Egypt out of them? You remember? About 39, 40 years. 
Well, I can identify with that. I can identify with that. Me being set free by Christ and Him being my Savior. Yes, that's awesome. That's wonderful. But there's a journey with Him. And i got to tell you, Egypt dies hard in this old man. Egypt dies hard. So as we look at some of the lessons from the journey, I think we can identify with some of those lessons as well. Now I put a slide up here thinking about the high price of freedom from the Old Testament. What was the high price of freedom? Well, there was a lot of plagues. But the final high price, and by the way, what a beautiful picture from Anastasia here in your bulletin. Oh my goodness, I mean, she's captured this in, in a professional way, I think. There's blood on the doorpost, and there's a, another house over there that's got some kind of a foreign god on top of their door, or by their door, and the death angel visits there. There's pyramids in the background. This is a beautiful picture of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that and I'm going to pin that up on my bulletin board at home. That's awesome. What was that high cost? Well, there were the plagues, but <laughs> you might have already read that there, the Old Testament picture. Now, I want to bring something to your mind. I put a number up there, and I want to tell you how I arrived at the number, and I think the number is way small. When... We go on in Scripture, we find that there's a, over 600,000 fighting age men in Israel when they number them, when they come out. And most Bible scholars and historians put the number of Jewish people and the mixed multitude that went with them, they weren't all Jews, they took other people with them, at about 2.5 million people. Now, from what Bill just read, and what we see in 12, it says that for each the household of each father, they're supposed to take a lamb, an unblemished lamb or a kid goat, and sacrifice it. And he tells them this as at the beginning of the month. He tells them this is going to be a new month. This is the beginning of the month, so I assume it's the first day of the month. And he gives them 10 days to get their lamb. And then he gives them three or four more days. On the 14th day, they're going to sacrifice the lamb. And then he tells them how they're going to cook it and eat it. Okay? He says that in here that you might, your family might not be able to afford a lamb or big enough family. So you can have, your, as long as your neighbor comes in there with you. So a household. So I don't know. I try to do some research on this and try to figure this out. But I'm just going to, this is, uh, if you want to quote somebody on this, this is Jerry Boyle. So it, for whatever good that's going to do you where you're quoting it. But let, let's say that in the household there are children. And let's say there are um, unmarried older kids, and let's say there are grandparents, and so out of this two and a half million people, 
what is a family unit? Well, I took real liberty and said, these people are going to invite their next door neighbor, and they have a big family, and so there's 40 of them. This lamb is going to take care of 40 of them. Now that's just, I just picked that, okay? <clears throat> well, then I divided 40 into, I just reduced it to 2 million because that's easier math. You know how many dead sheep that is? 50,000. 50,000. Sometimes we read through Scripture and we just go, oh yeah, those folks, they killed the sheep and they did it. Two and a half million people slaughtering 50,000, 60,000 lambs and kid goats. What do you think that looked like? They had 10 days to go get one if they had some themselves, that would have been fairly easy. Not everybody was going to own sheep, so they had to get them from somebody else. They had to be unblemished lamb. So they had to find over 50,000 unblemished lambs and kid goats and get them to their place on the 10th of the month. And then they were going to keep it for four days and then they're going to kill it. Can you see in your mind's eye what that must have looked like? How much blood that was? How it devastated the, <laughs> that was the males uh, from the sheep herds? It gives you a little idea of how many sheep there were. Later on on their journey, I, I, I just, it just pops in my head, but I, I know before they went into the promised land, they run into some other people and there's going to be a conflict and, and those people say, those people are covering the land like ants. They're, they're all over the place. Well, yes, two and a half million people and with all their herds, I'll tell you what, it must have been some kind of a sight. But this thing must have been something. The high cost of escape. The high cost of the ticket to get out of Egypt was one very bloody ticket. Pharaoh held it for a while. God purchased it. These people purchased it with over 50,000 sacrificed lambs. What's the high cost of getting out for us? One perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. One perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. Imagine a God that would come up with the idea that he would give his son for you and I. Sacrificed on our behalf. Not only do that, but years in advance foreshadow all these things in the building of a nation. Unbelievable. This God knows the beginning from the end. He orchestrates these things. It is, it is incredible when I think about it. Well, what was the reasonable cost to follow this, to this freedom? Well, the Old Testament picture is if you'll look at the scripture there, they had to trust the sacrifice and prepare for the journey. Now I noticed that I was reading this 
last week, I think is when I was preparing this, that he tells them what they're, what they're to do. And we read it this morning, Bill read it this morning. And he says, On the tenth of the month they were each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, the lamb. And he goes on and describes it. Moses doesn't do it for them. You notice that? They have to make a choice. Maybe I don't want to leave Egypt. Maybe I've got it pretty good. Maybe I think I got it pretty good. And I don't want to go. You don't have to go get a lamb and do this. Now, there's going to be some major consequences, especially if you were a firstborn person in your family, you're going to die. Or if you have children and the firstborn child is going to die. But you don't, those are, those are bad circumstances. Well, it's also bad circumstances if we don't trust Christ as our Savior today. But they had that choice. They could do it or they could not do it. And he said, if you don't do it, this is what's going to happen. Then the other thing it says, and I, I thought this was very interesting as I was reading it. He says in verse 11, 12, 11, Now you shall eat in this manner with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then it's going to go on in those next section and talk about the unleavened bread. At the same time that they were going out and getting their lambs and had to have them by the 10th of the month, by the 7th of the month, they had to start this uh, unleavened bread celebration. And so it's going to, they're both going to culminate on the 14th of their first month. So the bread, the unleavened bread, and the blood of the lamb, the, the sacrifice of the Passover lamb are going to happen on the 14th. And they had to start the, the bread things seven days ahead. And so they had to go get the lamb ahead of that. So what we find here is uh, a beautiful picture in the Old Testament of our salvation. In the Old Testament, they had to trust that the sacrifice was going to work and they had to prepare for the journey. In the New Testament, what's the truth? One perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. We have to trust in that one perfect lamb, Jesus Christ. The Old Testament story of Israel is just one picture after another of God dealing not only with them, but his dealing with us. When you study the priests, you, you can just get bogged down thinking about these priests or the temple. What is he doing? <laughs> well, he's teaching us a lot of lessons. And one of them I was reading yesterday through the scripture, and I thought, is he teaching them that fellowship with God 
has to be the right way, and it's very, very expensive fellowship with God. It is. But God has made the way. Next Sunday, I hope to uh, take on where we leave off right now and uh, look at the journey, lessons from the journey. We are going from something to something. There we're going from Egypt. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of Scripture. Uh, thank you for the picture that you've given us here of the Passover. Thank you for the instructions that are so explicit and the picture is so vivid of the sacrifice of the Lamb. And then to understand that in the light of what we know, they did not know. We know that you are going to come and you are going to be that Lamb. And that very difficult, impossible thing of getting out of bondage was going to be accomplished by your hand when they followed you, when they sacrificed the lamb. And Lord, I thank you and I praise you for the bondage that so many of us, maybe all of us in this room, has come out of. And we've come out of that bondage into a life of serving you. Now, Lord, as I mentioned before, I understand that it was hard to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. And I understand that I have very frail feet and a very frail and failing heart when it comes to being all that I should be before you. But God, you take us on the journey anyway. And along the way, you encourage us. You build us up. You put your arm around us. Lord, thank you for that journey that we are all on. And if somebody's not yet on that journey <laughs> and they're still in bondage, they, they still think that they can run their own life, they can determine their own destiny, Lord, help them to understand that it's Satan's sin and self is a dead-end street. And that life in you, of following you and journeying with you, is a wonderful, wonderful experience. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to sing one song as we prepare for communion today. You guys can stay in your seats. Okay.